It's a great hymn, isn't it? It's a long time since I've sung it, but it's, uh, as we shall see, uh, very appropriate to what we're looking at uh, today. And it really goes, doesn't it, with uh, Leviticus, what we're learning there about the Lamb of God. Um, yeah, just can I just say one other thing? Uh, to mention, you would have got this uh, notice sheet as you came through the door. Again, if you're uh, new today and you'd like to get to know us, then one other thing, if you wouldn't mind, if you're happy to give us your name or your phone number or something, uh, there's a slip on the back. You can just fit it in, tear it off and give it to somebody who'll be in that uh, welcome area. And, uh, you know, if you'd like to get together and have a coffee, talk about the church, then you know, one of the staff team, probably me or David or Angela or Louise or take you out for coffee if you like. We can have a coffee and you can ask us loads of questions and uh, talk a bit if that's what you'd like to do. So actually you don't have to be new for that either actually. So don't all rush at once. But anyway, so that's uh, another option, another way of just getting to to know the the family here at uh, at Portsmouth. So we're looking at Leviticus. We're looking at this book um, over the summer as uh, Rachel mentioned earlier. The book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. Uh, A book that we heard a few weeks ago is rooted in some uh, really key events right at the birth of the nation of Israel, uh, at the moment in their kind of development when they began to, to know what it was to have God with them, God living with them, kind of in the midst of them. We thought about that kind of mobile uh, home that God had, which the, the Old Testament calls the tabernacle. God is with them. And then because of that, they get this amazing invitation from God. God speaks to Moses out of, uh, out of the, uh, this area where nobody could go because of the glory of God in it. And God speaks to Moses and says, tell the Israelites, actually, they're invited. There is a way for them to come close to me. They can draw near. They can come near. And as we've been uh, hearing each week, uh, there was a whole series of offerings Offerings were made, and actually the, 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 the Hebrew word offering has within it this idea of coming near, coming near to God. Now, that's what the book of Leviticus is all about then. How do we come near uh, to God? How do the Israelites come near to God? And what can we learn from them and from that time about how we can? I wonder how many of us uh, today... Uh, people we know or people outside, people who write articles, people who blog, people who are out there in various places, how many uh, would really want to come near to God if they could? It's a bit of an issue. Many of us are attracted to the possibility that God might be knowable, that we could come near to him. There are little whispers of possibilities that creep into our experience prayers that get answered, or things that happen, or a sense that that more is going on than what we can see, feel, uh, touch, and measure. And so this idea, well, how do we come near to God, is something that might resonate with quite a few people, even in our society which is so materialistic, though changing. Well, the, the book of Leviticus gives us this way that the Israelites learned from God about what it meant to come near to God and to actually come God's way, to come in the way that God had, had kind of instructed or invited them to do. And we've been looking over these weeks, uh, uh, and we will be, at five offerings, five ways of coming near. We see them in the book of Leviticus. This was all Old Testament stuff. And we heard about, the first of all, uh, the burnt offering. Remember that? That was the, the first thing we heard about. 
All of these offerings, or many of them, involve animals that get sacrificed. And with the burnt offering, an animal is given in sacrifice. The Israelite person uh, identifies with it, puts their hand upon the head and, uh, and gets involved in the whole process. The animal is slaughtered, it gets burnt on an altar. Uh, and we're told that the reason for this is to uh, make atonement. Uh, what does atonement mean? Well, we thought about that a few weeks ago. At one man. It's a possibility of being at one with God, to be uh, accepted by God. Sin is covered. It has that idea of, of covering of, of sin, the stuff that keeps us away from God. So the animal's life is given so that the worshipper can be accepted. And it says that God is pleased with that. Uh, you remember that phrase keeps coming up. It's like a, the smell of the animal burning is like a pleasant uh, uh, smell in God's nostrils, as it, as it were. And then we thought about the, just going through this very quickly, the grain offering, which isn't about blood and about sacrifice at all, but, but about someone in, in the Israelite community, because they've been accepted by God, because they, uh, they, they, they're kind of feeling at one with him, they want to express their love to God in some way. And they bring something that's got grain in it and other things as well. That's burnt, but it's burnt to a very special uh, recipe. And we looked at the recipe and we saw it as a way of expressing thanks to God. And he's pleased with that. The grain offering about responding to love, in love to the one who's accepted us. That is all part of it as well. And then we thought about the, the peace offering last week or the fellowship offering and that's a kind of celebration, uh, celebration of what it means to be at peace with God. That kind of sense of, uh, of nothing between us, that sense of being accepted, uh, to, be, to being whole. Some people uh, talk about in terms of that peace, the shalom, the wholeness of, of God, and, and being kind of enjoying God's well-being in your life. And the Israelite brought a peace offering which expressed that. Again, it's an animal that's sacrificed, but this time, unlike the burnt offering, it's not all of it burnt up. Uh, no, only the best bits are given uh, on the offering, and the rest is eaten. And, and they're eaten, did you hear about this last week, that there's a possibility to have a little bit of a party afterwards. You know, what's left over from the offering is celebrated, and, 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 the, and the community or people in your family could get around it if you did, had too much, if you were sacrificing a, an ox, <laughs> then, then boy, you'd have a lot of meat left over, even if you had a big family. So you welcome other people to join you, and you express your sense of peace with one another, and peace with God and that everything was fine, everything's cool, it's okay, and you share that in that meal of, of, of the meat that the, the, the offering is, is made up of. So, three different offerings then, all ways of coming near to God, all ways of being near to God for the Israelite, all ways that the Israelite in the Old Testament, traveling with God through the desert as it were, all ways in which the Israelite could enjoy life with God. Life before God. It often talks about before the Lord. sense of God being involved. And we've been finding out, haven't we, that all of this points to something else. It points to the way to come to God. There's a way that God has given us that we can come to him. We come his way. And we've been seeing that Jesus is now that way. Because Jesus uh, is described by others uh, and right through the New Testament as the Lamb of God. That's why we've just been singing that song. 
Because Jesus is the one who's made it possible, not for us to come by sacrifices and all those other things now, but by someone that God has given as a sacrifice. His very self, his son, Jesus. He's the sacrifice. He's made a way for us to be right with God. All of this stuff, all of these animals, all of this blood, all of these guts, all of this Old Testament stuff, is all pointing forward saying there is a way to come, and Jesus is now that way. So there's three different offerings, and there's two more to come. Now, what's actually going on here? Um, I thought of an illustration. Um, those of you who often wonder whether I watch too much TV can, watch, uh, can wonder again. Anyone be watching Celebrity MasterChef this week? No, some of you are grimacing. Some of you like it. Okay. Uh, the, other, the other night, one of the contestants had to cook a signature dish that was uh, designed by a uh, Michelin-style um, restaurateur. Uh, it was a dessert. And actually, the dish was a, a tiramisu, but they had to cook it in a way that kind of separated each of the elements that go into it. You know, you get, there was a, a sponge bit with chocolate. There was a handmade tiny thin piece of chocolate. There was a special mousse and there was... All these things were kind of separated out on the plate. That was the skill test. Uh, and it was amazing. Usually those things come together as one dessert. But on this occasion, they were all kind of split up and made a different dessert where you could really appreciate each of the elements. See see what I'm saying? That's what happened on MasterChef. By the way, I record these programs. I watch them very late at night when I'm unwinding. In case you were thinking, do I watch TV all evening, every evening? No, I don't. Now here, uh, Leviticus, if you like, is taking apart, deconstructing, Postmodernists will love that word. Deconstructing different elements in a spirituality of coming near to God. All those things for the Israelite all existed at once, didn't they? Every day there'd be a burnt offering, there'd be a grain offering, there'd be a, a fellowship offering, there'd be a sin offering, and there'd be a guilt offering, the other two we're looking at. All together, all every day, rolling on, rolling on, and so on. But in the book of Leviticus, each little bit is kind of separated out. Our salvation, all that God has done for us in Jesus, is all one, isn't it? It's all together in what he's done. But it's a bit like as we, as we look at the little bits in, in Leviticus, we see different aspects, different kind of uh, bits of the, the total picture, what usually is together in this amazing salvation tiramisu, if you like, if I can, that's a bit irreverent, but you know what I mean. Uh, separated out to see what it's all made up of. Does that help us? How can that help us? Well, it, it maps out, doesn't it, that our salvation, what we experience, our rescue from God, our coming to God, is multi-layered. There's lots of different elements to it. And we need to see the whole picture. And we need to live in the wholeness of everything God has done for us. And you know, often I get into difficulties, maybe you do as well, when you're kind of aware of one aspect, or you highlight one aspect of salvation, you know, you're, you're glad about being at peace with God, and then you just kind of forget that you need to just love God as well, like in the cereal offering. Do you see what I mean? We, 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 need, we need to get it all kind of in balance, and to know that, that what Jesus has done for us is just a total thing. So let's have a look today at Leviticus chapter 4. Uh, which is called the sin offering. Some people call it the purification offering. 
I'm calling it the sin offering because that's what it says here. Not in the heading, that doesn't matter, but in the text. It's on page 104 if you're uh, using a church Bible. We'll read from verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, He must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it into the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. The priest shall then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat from the bull of the sin offering, the fat that covers the inner parts or is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the covering of the liver, which he will remove with the kidneys, just as the fat is removed from the ox sacrifice at the fellowship offering. Then the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering, but the hide of the bull and all its flesh, as well as the head and legs, the inner parts and offal, that is all the rest of the bull, he must take outside the camp to a place ceremonially clean where the ashes are thrown and burn it in a wood fire on the ash heap. If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, they are guilty. When they become aware of their sin, they committed, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. And then it's just the same as what we've just read uh, that the priest had to do for himself. So let's go down to verse 20, second half of verse 20. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. Then he shall take the bull outside the camp just as before. That's what happened. Look at verse 22. When a leader sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the commands of the Lord, he's made aware of the sin and so on. He's to to do a similar thing. And then verse uh, 26. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the man or the woman's sin and he or she will be forgiven. Verse 27. If a member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden, they are guilty and so on. You see, it's the same thing that's going on till we get to verse 28. This is all about what happens in the Israelite community when people sin. It's, uh, uh, it says unintentionally in the NIV. You might think, well, what does that mean? Some people would say, well, actually inadvertently is, is a better translation. What that means is they didn't mean to. They kind of slipped up, but they they found themselves in a situation where they're actually still guilty because they've done something wrong, but it's uh, been kind of, they kind of got themselves into a bit of a mess, I suppose. Each time it mentioned that they're still guilty, they may have done it unwittingly, inadvertently, they may not have meant to, but it still matters to God. 
And so uh, an offering is made, and for the um, uh, Israelites, it's another animal sacrifice. Why do they make the offering? It says, well, when they become aware of their sin. How do they become aware? Maybe their conscience tells them, or maybe someone points it out to them, if they've somebody that they, they, they've offended or someone's been offended by it. However it happens, once they're made aware, then they bring this offering. So here's an Israelite. You're an Israelite. You come to God. You know that the burnt, you've had the burnt offering, that covers sin. You've got the grain offering because you love God and you, you often bring that. You've been enjoying the peace offering and the party afterwards and everything. Uh, you're in this community of peace and wholeness. And then something spoils it. Sin happens. May not have been even kind of intentional or, or you just kind of found yourself in a place where, oh no, I've, I've blown it, I've done something that disobeys, in the Israelites' case, the law of God. And you know, did you notice it can happen to anyone in the community? The high priest, it says, the the anointed priest, uh, and the ordinary Israelite. It goes each, as you read through, different ways, different sacrifices to each of the people. So for us, isn't it? We're believers, we're right with God, if we are, if we're believers, we're loving God, we want to express our love in sacrifices of praise and good works like the grain offering. We know peace and wholeness, we enjoy communion and we enjoy the sense of community in that peace. But then, do we ever sin? (laughs) Do we ever sin? Does that ever happen to you? I wouldn't ask for kind of volunteer examples. I do. Any of us feel like this? This is the Apostle Paul speaking. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at sin, of sin at work within my members. That means that the parts of my body, my kind of, my, myself. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is that your experience sometimes? Sin, so easy just to get into it, to fall into it. Something in you kind of, you get there. That was Paul's experience. Now he doesn't stop there. Look, he's living there. He says, who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus. He's kind of living on the doorstep of rescue so he knows that sense of rescue in Romans 8 is all about that. But, but he's still, as a human being, also kind of living on the doorstep of, of sin as well. It's a kind of strange place to be. But isn't that often where we are? What about that? So what happens with this offering, this sin offering? Well, the person arrives with it. The Israelite comes with their animal. Uh, they identify with it. They lay their head. They kill it before the Lord. That's a repeated phrase And then, blood is sprinkled. Do you notice that? This blood is sprinkled now. It wasn't before, only in a few places, but now if it was the high priest, the blood is sprinkled right in the holiest part of the the, the mobile uh, temple, the, the tabernacle. Not the very holiest bit, but the bit where only the priest could go all the time, there was another even holier bit where he could only go once a year. But in that bit where normally the priest, high priest, would, would meet with God on behalf of the people, that was the symbol, in there he had to go and he had to take this blood and he had to just kind of sprinkle it on the big curtain that separated the bit that was most holy, you could only go in once a year, and, and the other bit 
where only priests could go. And he put it on the altar of incense, which was uh, burning inside that bit as well. What's happening there? This was the place where God would meet with them. You know, what it's saying is people's sin, the high priest's sin, actually, could affect God's meeting with his people. And it's the same thing happens for the community. If the whole community sins, if they, if they do something that they know is completely wrong, they find it out, then again, the community leaders do this, and again, the high priest does the same thing. In these, that place where symbolically the whole community met with God, blood went in there. The whole community need to know that they are able to meet with God again. The blood has cleansed the place. It's clean. God will be there again. Got the idea? If you're an ordinary Israelite, as it says, or a clan leader, then you don't go, your, your sacrifice, the blood doesn't go into that kind of bit which represents the whole of the nation meeting with God. The blood is sprinkled on the burnt offering uh, altar, which is the bit where you normally bring your sacrifice. Outside the, the kind of the interior temple or tent bit, there was a general uh, altar. That's where you, and, as an Israelite, bought your sacrifice. So that's where, in a way, you knew you would meet with God individually at that place, because that's where your sacrifice is, is burnt. Individual Israelites need to know that, okay, it's okay again. The effects of sin has been cleaned. Blood from the sacrifice, you see, is like a kind of spiritual detergent. It washes away stuff that would prevent God from meeting with you as a believer or as the whole community, if the whole community have sinned or the high priest has sinned and the high priest represents the whole community. And this blood that gets sprinkled cleans stuff up and makes it possible for them to meet with God. Now, in the New Testament, it talks about everything being cleansed with blood. In the Old Testament sacrifices, blood had this cleansing significance in a symbolic way. Obviously, it didn't actually... It was a, it was a picture of, of how important it was that we were clean and that, that sin has been dealt with so that we can meet with God. As with the uh, offering last week, the best bits are, bits are burnt, not the whole animal, uh, but none of the animals meant to be eating. Now, what's the point of, uh, of burning it this time? Well, there's this repeated phrase. Did you notice it? The priest will make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. Repeated all through this passage. Make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. Do you know, this is the first time in Leviticus that the word forgiveness has been mentioned. So I, oh, it's really interesting. I think that's true. Don't read it now. Check it out later. But I'm, I'm certain it is. Uh, and so what does that mean? What is this sacrifice all about? It's about forgiveness. Okay, the best bits of the animal were burnt so that there would be forgiveness. And then what happened next? Something else. There was a kind of a, a sacrificial takeaway. <laughs> the rest of the animal that wasn't burnt up is, is taken away, quite literally, out of, the part, out of the tabernacle area, the mobile temple area, as it were. 
And they were taken to a place outside of the camp where the ashes and all this stuff that were, was left over or, or, or that was there when the, the sacrifices were finished for the day, it was like a kind of, it was a, a, a consecrated area. It wasn't a normal rubbish dump. It was a special place. It was like, if you like, a kind of sacrificial dead zone. You know, it was a place where, that, you know, that's where they were. That, that was the end of the matter. All the, all the sacrifices that are gone, the rest of the remains, what was left of them were, was there in that place, forgotten, out of the way, out, even outside of the camp of Israel itself, way off somewhere. And the rest of the animal was taken to that place, that sacrificial drop zone or sacrificial dead zone, that place of kind of over with completed sacrifices. And the rest of it was set alight on a wood fire, not an altar, and is burnt. And the word for burnt is different from what's burnt on the altar. Basically, the rest of it is just burned up. It's gone, finished, out of it, gone. Nothing left anymore. So, different things going on. What does all this mean? Well, we're going to go and see. The message of it, surely, is that sin matters. And it can affect the presence of God among them as his people. So, there needs to be a way of dealing with it. Is that true for us? Does sin matter in our community? And what do we mean? Well, here's something from Ephesians. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. See the bit I've highlighted in the middle of it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Stuff that we do, sin that, you know, and who, who oh, as I've certainly had unwholesome talk has come out of my mouth. Sometimes what I say doesn't build others up and so on and so forth. Well, what can the effect of that be? It can grieve the Holy Spirit. And that idea of the Holy Spirit is grieved and, and, and perhaps is not as free to work among us or isn't as at home among us. And the sense of God's presence with us begins to, to kind of dissipate. Because stuff that's wrong can have that effect upon us. And Leviticus chapter 5, I won't read it. Um, I'm just going to refer to it, but you can read it yourself. Lists the kind of sins that the Israelites could get into. Um, and and it, it includes things like as a member of the community, you should, should tell the truth and you should be called upon to testify uh, when, when, you know, someone, when there was a, d- a decision had to be made or there was a, a court case or something. And um, the uh, uh, writer to Leviticus says, if you avoid that, if you don't do what you should do, that's your guilty. And then he talks about, in Leviticus, there's a lot in Leviticus about unclean stuff. You see, they had these laws and certain animals and certain bodily functions and certain other things were unclean in their system. And the verse there in Leviticus 5 talks about coming across kind of unclean stuff, being polluted, getting a bit polluted by things. So not doing things that you know you should do. And maybe as you go around getting polluted by stuff, it's not for us, it's not dead animals, is it, or, or unclean animals, but boy, there's a lot of unclean stuff floating around our worlds, aren't there? There can be a lot of unclean stuff floating around our heads. 
There can be lots of things like gossiping and slandering and being bitter and, you know, all of that kind of thing. There's lots of things out there that, you know, you don't set out the day, you know, to be like that or to do that, but you kind of end up being polluted. Well, that's another thing in chapter 5. Then there's a bit about, you know, if you, if you say to someone you'll do something and you swear an oath that you'll do it and then you don't deliver on that, that's something as well that, that uh, is listed in Leviticus 5. Now, again, you know, we, what about us? You know, how many times have we said, oh, I'll pray for you? <laughs> yeah, I'll pray for that. Do we? And then there's plenty, there's stuff in here in Leviticus 5 about uh, hurting someone thoughtlessly. Again, you might not mean to, but you do something or you say something and it kind of upsets the relationship and it's never put right. Those kind of things. And, you know, we've got the whole New Testament to read. There's loads of stuff in there. All kinds of things that are are, are stuff we just kind of stumble into or get into where actually we need that kind of forgiveness, don't we? It could have been a shock for the Israelites when they heard uh, Leviticus chapter 5. But verse 5 of chapter 5, look at that. When anyone is guilty in any of these ways, he must confess in what way he has sinned. As a penalty for the sin he's committed, he must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin. And we know he shall be forgiven. See, forgiveness was there for the Israelites. And you know, forgiveness meant what? Cleansing. Clean to meet with God again. You know what else it meant? Closure. That's what's going on, isn't it? When all that other stuff gets taken out to the sacrifice drop zone, into the dead zone. It's a forgiveness that means that the person is clean before God and knows that it's over. It's been burnt to destruction. The sin has been dealt with. Forgiveness, which means cleansing and closure. How many of us need that? And you know, it's part of what God provides, not through an animal, but through Jesus, the Lamb of God. Here's a verse from the New Testament. The blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us cleanses us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's the Lamb. We can know that forgiveness on a day-by-day basis. Here's another verse from the New Testament. The blood of goats and bulls, that's what we're reading about, and the ashes of a heifer, well, we haven't read about that, that's another part of Leviticus, um, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Here it is. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God? See, Jesus wasn't offered by someone else like you know, that you bought your own sacrifice if you needed a sacrifice. Jesus offered himself. And he did it through the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he offered himself to God. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
are all there in that act. When Jesus died, why? So that our consciences, to cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so we may serve the living God. What Jesus has done brings forgiveness into our experiences. We can be clean again. You know, maybe some of us don't stop sinning because we think, well, I've done it now. You know, what's the point in changing now? You know, maybe as a believer, you think, yeah, maybe you're right when I became a Christian, but what's the point of stopping it now? Because, because I, I, you know, I've been sore, I've been, I, I need, you know, well. What's the point of giving up? What's the point of letting go? Giving up of something you know is wrong or letting go of an attitude that you've been nurturing or I've been nurturing or whatever it is. You think, what's the point of doing that? I've done those things. Hey, cleansing is a great truth here, isn't it? It means a fresh start. Others of us think that we're not really able to follow Christ wholeheartedly because of what we've done. Even since we became Christians, perhaps. We think, well, I did that and that's blown it. You know, I'm never going to be able to you know, really do what God wants me to do. Hey, there's closure in the cross. What were the last words Jesus said? It is finished. It was done. He died. Cleansing, closure, forgiveness. Interesting, in this passage, only once does it mention the kind of pleasing aroma to God. You know, if you've noticed all these other sacrifices, each time it talked about it's a pleasing aroma to God. And, and uh, it does mention it once, but I think this offering is not focusing necessarily on God's kind of side of the, the, the deal or, or, or what's of the interaction, but it's focusing on the, the worshipper because it says time and time again, atonement and he or she will be forgiven. And forgiveness, you know, is an element that, of our experience, of our inner life. That feeling of knowing everything really is okay. It's all right. It's over. You know, in human relationships, when we really know we're forgiven, there's that amazing relief, you know. You think, oh, thank goodness, you know. Well, how much more with God? It's over. It's closed. It's dealt with. And you know what? God, unlike some of us, is never going to bring it up again. Hebrews 10 quotes Jeremiah. Their sins I will remember no more. Closure. The sin offering. Because sin really does matter. It does matter. But there is a way. Now in Jesus that we can find forgiveness. And that forgiveness means cleansing and it means closure. So let's live it. Let's ask God for that. Let's, if we need to confess stuff, let's do it. And get right and get, get starting again. Because it matters. But we can be clean. We can know all that he's done for us in Christ, in our experiences. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this aspect of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that we can be forgiven, we can be clean, that we can know real closure from things that we know have been wrong between us and you. And Lord, we pray that, uh, Lord, if you want us to bring stuff to you 
individually or with another person or whatever it is, Lord, I pray that nothing the enemy may throw at us in Jesus' name, that nothing will prevent us responding to your love and to find again that sense of forgiveness, of cleansing and closure. Because Jesus said, it is finished. Because you, the living triune God, did something on the cross that is total, complete, and brings us the forgiveness, the cleansing, and the closure that we need. May we respond to you, Lord, in repentance, in faith, in trust, and in the desire, uh, with the fullness of your spirit, day by day, to live lives for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.